I'm going to begin um, our, our sermon time together uh, on, a, on a, a message or a passage of text that doesn't have, at first glance, anything to do with Jonah. <laughs> and yet, I think it has everything to do with Jonah. So I'd like to read a passage of Scripture you're familiar with, and I, I know you are familiar with it because it was only a couple weeks ago that this passage was the key passage of Scripture that Pastor Mike and Pastor Sarah used in their sermon when I was absent. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38 says, well, before I read Scripture, what am I supposed to do? See, you're supposed to stop me when I do that, but you didn't because I, I was just, it was just rolling. It was just good. Lord, please help us understand your word today. In the New Testament, in the Old Testament, God, it's your word. It's been inspired by you. And now we ask that you would inspire us as we interpret and read what you have for us. God, we desire that you would guide us completely in this. Speak to our hearts. May we have our hearts open to hear your voice. Amen. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Eighty students in release time. Eighty students whose parents have decided that they want their kids to leave school for one period of the day and come to our church to learn about Jesus. Eight zero. Lord, how can we not see that the harvest is plentiful? And yet we also see that this task is large and requires workers. I ask the Lord of the harvest, please send out workers to your harvest field. Amen. Jonah chapter 3. We've been in Jonah for a few weeks. And we have, I hope you have, I know I have, been encouraged. And for me, it's, it's been a bit unexpected what the Lord has had for us so far. Today, we're looking at only 10 verses, chapter 3, 10 powerful verses. Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. 
Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. It's only ten verses. I don't even know how to describe the importance of those 10 verses for our understanding of who God is. Those 10 verses explain the character of our God maybe better than anything else in the entire Old Testament. Of course, there's a few passages about Jesus that uh, might do better. But think of what those 10 verses tell us about God. Look at verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah <laughs> a second time. That, you know, it, that's really short and doesn't seem like a big deal, but do you suppose that God had shown grace to Jonah? You know, grace is a, is a word that can be complex to define. It seems like it should be easy, but the word grace, I, I want to define it today using Jonah chapter 1. Grace means a second chance. Oh, that sounds good, doesn't it? Do you need a second chance? I do. Let me tell you about my God. He's a God of second chances. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Because <laughs> I need one. Do you? Jonah did. And the word of the Lord came to him a second time. Look at verse 4. 
On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Now, this, this next thing I'm going to say, you're going you're to snicker, and I'm not going to appreciate it, okay? How many words is that? That's eight words. That's the whole sermon. <laughs> and you know what's even funnier than that? In Hebrew, it's five words. Jonah did his whole sermon to Nineveh in five words, and it was enough. And some of you are probably thinking, Pastor Jason could learn something from Jonah. <laughs> yeah, I see, you're, sn you're snickering, I'm not appreciating it. See how that works? That's how that works. So, five words is the whole sermon in Hebrew, eight in English. The whole sermon, 40 days, and Nineveh will be overturned. Okay, so this is the word of the Lord that came to Jonah a second time. And the word is warning. Here's the word from God. Hey, Nineveh, you got 40 days. Warning. 40 days and you're going to be overturned. So there you go. Flashing red light. Warning. Look at verse 5. How did the Ninevites respond? Now, this is difficult to understand, but let's just read this. The Ninevites believed God. That was unexpected. Remember who I told you the Ninevites were? They were not friendly. They were not nice. And they did more than just slap people with fishes. Okay, that's the uh, Jonah VeggieTales movie that I've now referenced twice in this sermon series. Okay, it, they didn't just slap people with fishes. They were n terrible, terrible. Did, did anybody see this coming, okay? You say five words. How? Just think, could, what if we went to Afghanistan and we said to ISIS five words, and they go, Oh, I've never thought about that before. I, I got to change. Wouldn't that be nice? Impossible, right? Impossible. Oh, really? Oh, really? You know, sometimes what we need to do is just be faithful to God's word. And sometimes God has to say it to us twice because we're thick skulled. But once we hear it and we're just supposed to say it, it turns out God does the work of getting people to do the responding. Now, he doesn't force people to respond, right? We are to be faithful to proclaim the word. That's what we do. In the New Testament, Paul says this. You know, we've got to preach the good news. People need to hear the good news. How can they hear if we don't say it, if we don't proclaim it or preach it? That, that's what we do. We're supposed to be faithful to say it right? Jonah was faithful to say it. He only had to say five words. And lo and behold, they said, okay, okay, I believe it. And by the way, and this is something that's very important because I, I hear this all the time and so do you. 
Don't, don't, this thing right here, it says, well, I believe in God. I believe in God. People say that all the time. I believe in God. Yeah, but uh, um, the, the, the proof's in the pudding. The proof's in the pudding, isn't it? Yeah, you believe in God. And if you haven't changed at all, you don't believe in God. Because belief causes change. So if you, if you have all these flowery words, and you say you believe, but your life is the same as it was before, I'm sorry, but you don't actually believe. Okay? Believing up here that doesn't translate into these things, and these things, these things right here. See, belief that doesn't get from there down to these things is not belief. It's just a, a little enjoyable theological conversation you're having. It's nice. Belief will lead to change. Now look at the Ninevites. Did it change them? See, it starts with belief. I'm not saying you, 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 you start with this part. It starts here. But look where it goes. They believed God, and so they changed their actions. They declared a fast. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Now, you've heard... When people were grieving or in, or in mourning in, in the ancient times, they, they put on sackcloth and ashes, right? It was a way of showing everybody that they were grieving. But, like, what's the deal with the sackcloth? Have you ever wondered that? Well, you know what sackcloth is. It's scratchy, right? Why would you put on sackcloth? What, what's the purpose of that? Have you ever wondered that? It's like a constant reminder of what you're grieving it's a reminder that you're like, it's like you're always remembering. Because every time you move, it goes. And by the way, you don't put the sackcloth on over the top of your clothes. Right? Like, it's time to, to go buck naked, and then you put on the sackcloth. There's some, there's some chafing involved in that. It's unpleasant. It's supposed to be. Right? Because it reminds you. It reminds you, I'm, I'm grieving. And, and some of this, too, is when you're grieving and it hurts so bad, sometimes you just need to feel the pain of something else. That's helpful, isn't it? You just need to feel something, even if it's pain. You need to feel something to take yourself away from the hurt that's here. Do you see that's the kind of pain the Ninevites realized because they believed God? Can I just pause right here and ask you, when's the last time you had that kind of pain because you were convicted of sin? Been a while, I bet. Hmm. We might come back to that. Look at verse 6. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Now, here's something that's so interesting. Do you know where the revival for God came from? Did it come from the king and go down to the people? No. 
It started at the people and went up to the king. Hello? Grassroots. The movement started by Jonah because of the word of the Lord that came to the Ninevites started with the common folk. They didn't sit there and think, well, I wonder if the king's going to do a decree. The people recognized that they had sinned and they just started grieving. Like they changed. Like we, we got to do something different here, folks. And it, it made such a ruckus that the king heard about it. It didn't start in the top and come down. It started at the bottom and went up. I think that matters. Especially when you think about our country. I think our country's got a whole lot to grieve about. I keep thinking Jonah's going to show up in America. <laughs> maybe Jonah needs to show up. But maybe Jonah already has shown up, and we're waiting for the kings to do the grieving. Just throwing that out there. This thing started on the bottom and went up. But look what happened to the king. By the way, this whole idea of the king, this isn't just like political leaders. I, I think that we might be talking to men in families here especially. Do you know, men, we're, we're lead, we lead the families. This is what we do. Men, the grieving needs to sometimes start with us. What the king does here is an example of what good leaders do. Not only did he recognize what uh, needed to happen, not only did he recognize that the cry had come up, but he acted. And he went even further. Look, the, he, he did something that's so crazy. Go back and, and look at Jonah. What, what did he ask them to do? The, the decree that he made, it's further than the people went. Do not let any man or beast. He made the cows join the grieving process. What in the world is going on? Don't let the cows eat anything. I mean, he, the people already weren't eating anything, but he said, also include the cows. Roger, what happens when cows are hungry? They don't give any milk. Okay, that's the dairy farmer. But just generally, can you tell me what cows do when they're hungry? They beller. Do you know how loud they beller? How loud do cows beller when they're hungry? I have, heard it, I have heard it said, you can hear cows from miles away that are hungry. Because they beller. They don't moo. Come on, all you old dairy farmers out there. They beller. Roger's cows are never hungry, so he doesn't know what that sounds like. They're always well-fed. It's beautiful, wonderful thing. Okay, so they beller. Cows beller. Do you suppose it may... How annoying would that be? How annoying would it be to have all of the animals hungry? It's annoying enough when the three-year-old kids are hungry. But how annoying is it when the cows are bellering? The king says, let everyone call urgently on God. This pagan king, this horrible king, saw what needed to happen because he believed God. And then he says, 
something so interesting. Look at verse 9. Look what the king says. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. I love that. I love that. Because you know what? As Christians, I think we get lazy when it comes to like this whole topic of repentance and forgiveness. You know, because I think we've known the story of Jonah our whole lives. We've known the story of Jesus our whole lives. And you know what we, we know as Christians? We know that if you ask Jesus for forgiveness, he says yes. We've built that into our very foundational theology. We know Jesus will forgive us. The king of Nineveh did not know. If God would forgive if they asked, he was just hoping he might. Now, just think about this, because you know what we do? We take it for granted that God will forgive us, don't we? You got that sin you're dealing with? Oh, yeah, I got that sin I'm dealing with. Well, you need to ask forgiveness. I know, and God's going to forgive me, but I just want to hang on to it just a little longer. And then, and then I'm going to hang on to it just a little longer, and then I know I'll just ask forgiveness right, right there when I'm ready to ask forgiveness for that, and it's all going to be good. You suppose a little attitude of the king of Nineveh might help us? Do you recognize that the king of Nineveh didn't know if he was going to be forgiven by God? But we just assume, we just know he will forgive us, and so we just take God's forgiveness for granted. Are you catching on to that, church? Well, I'll just get around. I know God's going to forgive me. Like he's, he's like a pop machine. Put in a quarter, put in two quarters, push the button, you get a can of Coke, right? Like that's what God is. He's just a machine. Do you understand that it's a big deal that God forgives us? when we ask him. Have you forgotten that? Have you forgotten? Because I've never heard a Christian say, I'm going to ask God forgiveness. Who knows? He might forgive me. We don't think like that. But see, the problem is, because we don't think like that, it's real easy to take it for granted. The king of Nineveh didn't know if God was going to smite him anyways. We know. So then we get real casual about forgiveness, don't we? We get real casual about repentance. Ah, oh, yeah, I'll get around to it. I'll have time to do that later. Oh, <laughs> do not take for granted the forgiveness of the Lord God. This is good. And now I want to tell you about three Hebrew words, and then we're going to be done for the day. And this is so interesting. The three Hebrew words that are in Jonah chapter 3 that describe for us how reconciliation with God happens. Now, I, I haven't taken Hebrew, so I don't know how to pronounce these words correctly. I do hope to take Hebrew someday. The first word, you'll recognize it, it's, it's, in, the, it's in Jonah's five-word sermon. So Jonah chapter 3, verse 4. The word is, I'm not going to have him put it on the screen, but I, I want to ask you, what was the eight-word sermon? Anybody want to say it? 
Do you remember it without looking at it? What's the eight-word sermon of Jonah? You just saw it on the screen. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. Now, before this sermon started, I bet if I would have asked you the same thing, you would have said that that last word would have been destroyed. The word is not destroyed. The word is overturned. And this word overturned is the key hinge point of the entire book of Jonah. If you get what I'm going to say next, you are going to understand Jonah different for the rest of your life. The word is not destroyed. The word in Hebrew is H-A-P-A-K. That's how you pronounce it, hapak. And I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. H-A-P-A-K, hapak. This word in Hebrew, overturned. It's very intentional. You know why? Because overturned can have two meanings. The word overturned can mean destroyed, right? Like you're, you're turning over the soil, right? You're, 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 you're overturning it. You're, you're flipping over the building. You're, you know, the, the earthquake comes and overturns everything. So it can mean destroyed. And I guarantee you the Ninevites got that meaning. They understood that meaning. Overturned can mean destroyed. But what else can overturned mean? You got it. All of those are true. This is what Jonah's about. Overturned can also mean overturned to grow again. Or overturned to change and be renewed. In Hebrew, all of that is mixed into that one word. Destruction or renewal are together in that word. And so the question isn't, is God, God didn't say I'm going to destroy you. God said I'm going to overturn you. And it depends on your reaction which way that word falls. The entire book of Jonah is like, oh, how you respond determines how the word hapak happens in the end. Oh, that's exciting. Do you see the entire book of Jonah hinges on the word hapak? Are you going to overturn? Oh, you're going to be overturned. It's just the question of which overturned. Which overturned? Is it going to be the destruction by the hand of the Lord? Or is it going to be the reconciliation to the Lord which brings renewal? Which one? And that brings us to the second Hebrew word. And again, I don't know how to pronounce this word. In Hebrew, it's S-U-B. So sub, but there's like a little weird thing I don't know how to pronounce. So it's, it's sub. That is the word that means, in Hebrew, to repent. Sub. So, hapak, here's the message. Overturning is coming. But now, what's the response? What's the response? And the response of the Ninevites is sub. And that word, of course, I've always told you, right? What does repentance mean? You walk in one direction, 180 degrees, and you walk the other direction, right? Notice that believing also requires action. Did you catch that? 
Like, I believe that I'm going to stop this sin. No, you don't. Did you get that? Now you do. Repentance. Oh, but the Hebrew word is rich. With That's just the start of the Hebrew word because it also means to grieve. To grieve, like my heart has been grieved. I am mourning. You see that? There's a, there's a change. Like, here we go. I have just realized that I have settled, I have not settled for God's best, so I want God's best. All of that is in that one little Hebrew word. The idea of grieving, mourning, changing direction. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a wanting of God's best because you've realized you haven't given God your best. It's the, the need to cry out. And I'm not even going to talk about this, but the word cry out is in this one, this one chapter of Scripture like four times. Cry out. They, they, they cry out, Lord, I've sinned. I'm grieving. There's a crying out that, that accompanies repentance. All of those are in one little Hebrew word. And that brings us to the last Hebrew word. And oh, does this one matter. N-A-H-A-M. N-A-H-A-M. Naham. Naham. Hmm. What is that? There's another, there's another book in the Bible that sounds like that. What is that one? Oh, it's a minor prophet. Naham. With a U. I wonder if those two words are related. Yep, they are. We're going to Nahum after Jonah. Naham, though. N-A-H-A-M. It means God's compassion. And that word is also filled with meaning because compassion, God's compassion also has the idea of relenting. God relents. He relents. Like, he's going to smite, and then he decides not to. That's God's compassion. Relenting. One of my, what I feel like is, is one of the most important passages in the New Testament is one I've shared with you a number of times, but I want to share with you again. Because I believe that this passage of Scripture in the New Testament, it is extremely important because without this passage of Scripture, I believe that you can bend God's character in a way that's not appropriate. Okay? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Can I? Okay, see that? How many people does God want to go to hell? Uh, no, no I, you, you heard me backwards. How many people does God want to go to hell? How many? Okay, so let me get this right. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell, right? 
Now, hell is the place where we are disconnected from God, right? So there's no light because God is light. There's no love because God is love. If you were at the funeral yesterday, that was part of my sermon. I, I mentioned that. Hell is a place where God is not. Do you understand that God wants to be in fellowship with everyone? He wants to be reconciled to all of the people. Do you know why this matters? Because there are branches of Christianity that say some people are destined for hell. Like it's, it's, it's predetermined that people, certain people are going to hell and certain people are going to heaven. Um, we don't believe that here. You know why? Because God doesn't want any of them to go to hell. What I'm amazed about, that branch of theology also says God's in complete control of everything. If God is in complete control of everything, but look at this verse, he doesn't want anyone to go to hell, then what does that mean logically? All dogs go to heaven. But we know all dogs don't go to heaven. Therefore, people have a choice. It's not just God controlling everything. Everybody get that? God doesn't want anyone to perish. No one. And by the way, in the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 30 through 32, another helpful passage. This is the Old Testament version of 2 Peter chapter 3. Therefore, O house of Israel, I will judge you, each one according to his ways, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent! God is saying, sub, if that's the right S-U-B in Hebrew. Repent, mourn, turn, do all of those things I just said, right? Turn away from all your offenses. How many of your offenses are you supposed to turn away from? Oh, not just some of them, right? Just throwing that little holiness thing in there. All, right? Then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? Now listen to this. For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. God doesn't want to kill anybody. He, he doesn't want anybody to die separated from himself. And when I say kill, I'm talking about eternal death, right? God does not want eternal separation between himself and another one of his creation, ever. He does not want that. Why does that matter? <laughs> it matters completely. Because the king of Nineveh didn't know that that was God's character. But we do. We do. There are three steps to reconciliation with God. The first is hapak, recognizing you will be overturned. The first step to reconciliation with God is recognizing the overturning is coming. Just which one's it going to be? Okay? The second step in reconciliation with God is the Hebrew word sub. Will you grieve, mourn, fast, repent, Will you turn from? Will you recognize that your life is going the wrong direction and you need to go the other? That's the second step. And the third step in reconciliation with God is naham. Because when you repent, when you turn from, 
What you encounter is God's compassion, his embrace, because he doesn't want anyone to be separated from him. Do you believe what I've just said? Amen. Do you desire that for the people of this community? Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Hmm. What about you? Have you, in this moment, been confronted with the fact that God is going to overturn you? True story. It's just a matter of when. It's kind of nice for the Ninevites. They got a calendar. You know, if, if that would have been me, I would have been like, oh, let's see here, 40 days from today. Okay. I better make sure I repent on the 39th day. Right? Because I think that's what happens in the church right now because we just trust God's forgiveness, right? I'm just going to squeeze this hard living is doing it my own way out to right to the very end. What did the Ninevites do? They didn't get their calendar. They stripped naked and put on the sackcloth right now. You are going to be overturned. Every one of you in here and every one of them out there. Oh, I so wish the book of Jonah ended at the end of chapter (laughs) 3. Wouldn't that be a nice little message to end with? God's compassion? Yes. It doesn't. There's one more chapter. And it's a little rough. That's for next week. Lord God, thank you for helping us remember that our overturning is coming. May we be a kind of people that help lead others to your compassion. In Jesus' name, amen.